right, well, like Dave said, we're going to be um, kind of changing things up a bit. We're going to be discussing the issue of worship, and more specifically, um, the horizontal aspect of worship. And uh, worship is a word that encompasses a lot of territory. And it is obviously, just to set things straight from the beginning, it is obviously God alone who is worthy of receiving all our worship. And worship from the beginning of time has always been and will always be about God. And there are many different ways that we as believers can worship God. We can worship God um, by serving others. Um, We can worship God um, by gathering with other believers um, each week uh, to offer praise to our Savior and to encourage each other. We can worship God uh, through the giving of our finances and by tithing. We can worship God through prayer, um, communicating with Him, listening to Him, and responding in ways that He wants us to respond. And the truth is that we as human beings are always worshiping. We're always worshiping something or someone. It's just a matter of who or what. And a while back, I came across um, a line in a book um, from a book called Worship Matters by a guy named Bob Coughlin. And this line grabbed my attention, and I'll probably never forget it if you want to show that up there. He said, worship is about what we love, what we live for. Worship is about what we love and what we live for. And that's a very simple quote, but whatever it is that we love and live for is what we worship. So some questions to consider. Are we people that truly love and live for the glory of God? Or are we people that mostly love our stuff, our possessions, our things? Do we love and live for um, recognition from others? Do we live out of an intense desire to be accepted um, by others? At any moment, we can ask ourselves, what is it that is dominating my life, my thoughts, and my will? Because the answer to that question is typically what you live for um, and what you love and therefore what you worship. So like I said earlier, we're going to be discussing the horizontal aspect of worship, which takes place um, um, when a community of believers come together to give praise and glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have a great and beautiful description of what this actually looked like by a church in the book of Acts. So we're going to take a step back into history and examine um, the early church, um, the early Christian church of the first century. So go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It should be page 757 if you're using a pew Bible. Starting in verse 2, or verse 42, sorry. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together, In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is a beautiful picture 
of basically the first Christian church that ever existed on planet Earth. And immediately when you read that, you see the significance <clears throat> excuse me, and priority of community. Look at that closely again. It says, they devoted themselves. Everyone was filled. All the believers were together. They sold possessions and property. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is no, um, there is no sense or indication of any type of Lone Ranger Christian mentality or lifestyle that existed in this church. And one Eastern Orthodox priest had this to say about this. He said, Christianity from the very beginning existed as a corporate reality, as a community. To be Christian meant just to belong to the community. Nobody could be Christian by himself as an isolated individual, but together with the brethren, the brethren, in a togetherness with them. Now take a minute, we need to just, just kind of think about how much time these believers of this early church actually spent together. And we've got to consider that they didn't have hardly any of the, distra- uh, of the distractions that we have today living in the modern world. Um, no television to occupy hours of their time. No video games to play. No movies to watch. No cars to cruise around in. No computers. No cell phones. No text messages. And these people were poor. They didn't have a lot of stuff. So when these guys met, we can probably assume, safely assume, that they were fully present with each other, listening to each other share their stories, their hurts, their struggles, and their joys. And it says that every day they met together. Now let's skip ahead just a little bit and see how the same church is uh, living once a little bit of time has passed. So just uh, turn to Acts chapter 4. It should be just... Uh, Two pages over, 759, Acts 4, verses uh, 32 through 37. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Once again, a beautiful picture of a community of people truly loving each other. If you look at verse 32 there again, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, putting the needs of others above their own, being united in Christ's love without any type of jealousy or bitterness that causes division. And referring to this specific um, um, passage, One commentator said the spirit rested upon the entire community in melting down all selfishness and absorbing even the feeling of individuality and an intense and glowing realization of Christian unity. And anything taking place in our hearts between our brothers and sisters here that does not lead to unity is not of God. 
and it needs to be dealt with before it grows and deepens. And I want to share a section from a book I'm reading called The Worship Architect by a woman named Constance Cherry. And it deals with this issue of individualism, which has become very uh, dominant um, in the American church, unfortunately. She uh, had this to say, Christian worship, especially Western Christian worship, has been subject to radical individualism. We have been indoctrinated to think that we are individual worshipers who happen to form the constituency of a local congregation. We have mistakenly viewed our weekly worship as an opportunity for each person to pray individually to God, to hear the word individually, and to respond individually in a way appropriate for each person. But corporate worship is not what takes place at a given church simply because an aggregate group of individual worshipers show up at the announced time of service. Rather, corporate worship is what happens when the body of Christ assembles to hear with one heart and speak with one voice the words, praises, prayers, petitions, and thanks fitting to Christian worship. Individualistic worship when the community is gathered is just not a part of the Old or New Testament mindset. That's powerful. That shows the significance of being united as a church body and loving each other through our sins and our shortcomings. And individualism like that is much more prevalent between a group of people when we're divided and we're seeking our own agenda and fulfillment. It says one heart and one voice, completely united to give and receive together and so connected to each other because we know each other deeply. The depth of our love between believers in the same body of Christ is a true reflection of their love for Christ. And that is crucial. I'm going to say that again kind of in a way that applies to us. The depth of our love for one another here at Wellspring is a true reflection of our love for Christ. And just as we obviously have the vertical aspect of worship when we come together to worship, God drawing us, us hearing his voice, responding to him, repenting, thanking him, praising him. There's obviously, there's also the horizontal aspect of worship. How we as God's people relate to one another and as we come together to worship together, not as mere individuals. Because we're not on this Christian journey alone. We belong to the body of Christ, his church. And this is very threatening for a lot of Christians. It's very difficult to function properly when we as individuals remove ourselves from the body, thinking that we can function without the help and support of the other people, the other organs in the body, if you will. And I think it's really important for us to remember the significance and understand what is actually taking place when we gather here in this beautiful sanctuary every Sunday. So to do that, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. Verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5. It should be page 813. And Paul wrote this book to the Christians living in Ephesus. And a dominant theme in this book is Christ's body, uh, his church. Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think it's very fascinating that the first person Paul mentions that we should speak to is actually one another. That's pretty fascinating. And then he goes on to say to sing to the Lord and give thanks to him. And when I first read this section of speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, I had this goofy visual of some wellspring men like Brady Purvis and Nick Codeman and Josh Alden just frolicking around, just singing to each other in the pews. So if any of the wellspring men, maybe some of the real you know, muscular ones not like myself would want to frolic around after service, that would be awesome and very encouraged. So that would be great. Um, Paul also wrote to the believers um, in Colossians chapter 3, this is a quick verse, who said this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So to believe that our weekly gathering is for our own, just for our own individual and personal encounter with God is not in line with the teachings of Scripture. Of course, we personally encounter God and he is present with us and we come to glorify him. But another major aim of corporate worship is to build each other up, as we just read, to encourage each other and support each other and to let our brothers and sisters here know that we're in this Christian journey with them and they're in it with us through the ups and downs of life. And even greater than just encouraging each other is that we know that Jesus Christ is actually here with us every time that we meet. Because in Matthew 18, he said, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So the Spirit of Christ is with us every time that we meet here. That is encouraging, people. (laughs) I think it's also important... um, to briefly discuss um, some threats and a danger that we believers living in the modern world face with our technology and all of our gadgets. I've met many Christians who never really plant their roots in a church throughout their whole lives. They live their Christian lives apart from community, apart from being encouraged and challenged by other believers. Um, Some people just watch Christian preaching um, on the television, apart from any type of community, And they might say that that's how they're spiritually fed. Some of you guys are smiling, but it's pretty common. Um, There's also the threat of just listening to a sermon online. We have the option every week, really, to just listen to a sermon in the comfort of our home, laying in our bed, laying in our couch, whatever it might be, without any face-to-face contact and community with other believers here. And this type of isolation and withdrawal from community is not only unbiblical, but it actually hurts the body of Christ as a whole. Because if you remember, a major reason that we meet together each week is to encourage each other and build each other up. Now listen closely to this. How can a human being comfort you and encourage you in a way that will touch the depths of your soul 
without audibly hearing their voice, without seeing their emotions, and without, without feeling the warm embrace of a gentle handshake or a loving hug. Technology can never replace that. Never. You need to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters here. And on top of that, they need to be encouraged by you. Because each of us have been given different levels of compassion and love and talents and gifts. And to withhold those from the body of Christ is a disservice to the body. And it's just not in line with um, the teachings of the New Testament. Let's take a minute on the screen here. We're going to look at some other New Testament passages. Talk about the emphasis of encouraging each other. 1 Corinthians 14 What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So collectively, these verses are saying, when we meet together, let's build each other up. Let's not stop meeting together because we need each other. Let's encourage each other and help each other as we are trying to pursue Christ. Now I want to just kind of take a moment and just hear from you guys about how this has been true in your own life. So for those of you that call Wellspring your home, um, what are some ways that you are encouraged or you've been encouraged by coming here each week and worshiping together as a community of believers? What are some ways that you're encouraged each Sunday? For those of you that call this your home. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So the music and the words of the songs that we sing, what else? So nobody's really encouraged except Gary, huh? Great. Bob, what are we doing? Keeps you centered and focused when you come here and worship together with others. What else? Good, good. So you just feel the love <laughs> from people here. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. That's awesome. Anybody else? Randy. Hmm. Yes, take the love of God that we experience here and spread it through our community. Anybody else?
Steve. Hmm. It's awesome. You're seeing just the kids' lives be changed and how much they love coming here. That's great. Um, they're very good. I wanted to share a quote um, from Pastor John Piper, and he said this while he was speaking to a church on the significance of corporate worship. He said, Many of you grew up in churches, maybe some in this church, with very shallow views of the significance of what is happening right this moment. The meaning of corporate worship. What is this? Is this just a small thing? Is this an insignificant thing? Is this just a human thing? For the psalmist, the memories of meeting with the people of God in the temple were simply massive. The only reason the psalmist would go back and say, I remember going in procession to the house of God is because God was real there. And then speaking of himself, John Piper said, I will do that in my dying day too. I will remember hundreds and hundreds of seasons when your voices cascaded over my aching soul. I will remember the times at the table. I will remember the supernatural in these services. I hope you don't come to these services thinking this is just a religious tradition. God is here. People pass from death to life in this room. Saints are made strong and able to weather the assaults of the devil in this room. I say this just to elevate in your heart and mind the significance of corporate worship. So if you're a guest and you never go to church and you just randomly showed up here today, contemplate the possibility that you might be missing something massive. That's powerful. <laughs> to add to this, I just got um, want to show you guys a few more quotes from pastor and author named Paul Tripp on the significance of what's happen, happening when we meet here. Corporate worship reminds us of God's presence so that we would be freed from the delusion of living as if we are alone. Corporate worship rescues us by reminding us that there's only one glory worth giving our lives to, the glory of God. Corporate worship is designed to remind you how devastating your need is and how gargantuan your hope in Christ is. Corporate worship is designed to remind you that this world is carefully ruled by a wise Lord and it is not you. Um, I hope today's discussion, we're not finished yet, I hope today's discussion has helped you see the significance of what is actually happening when we gather here each week. Because um, I don't want us to take this lightly. This is not some duty that we have to do or some burden that we should have to carry. But this is an honor and a tremendous blessing to come here every week and worship our Savior together and have the opportunity to encourage each other. And to help foster this sense of community, we're going to do a few things uh, kind of different today as a church body. In a minute, you're going to see Psalm 67 uh, come up on the screens, and we're going to read it together at the same time. And as you read God's words up there on the screen, I want you to listen to the sound of your brothers and sisters here who are in this journey with you and whose lives have been changed because of the amazing God that we serve. It's very powerful to hear the voices of the saints as they give audible praise and honor to our Savior. So go ahead and stand together now. And don't be bashful. Speak loud. So we're going to read Psalm 67 together at the same time. Here we go. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine on us so that Your ways may be known on earth, Your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise You, God. May all the peoples praise You. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise You, God. May all the peoples praise You. The land yields this harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all, all the ends of the earth will fear Him. This time I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come on up and get situated. And as we move into a time of worship through song, you guys can stay standing. Um, and as we sing together as a church body, I want, you to, I want to ask you guys to do something different today. You might be someone who always closes your eyes throughout the entire worship set. Today, I want to ask you to look around at your brothers and sisters here a little bit during worship and watch them worship God. And if you know them personally, just take a minute to just consider what God has done in their life and how he's changed their life. Maybe take a minute to pray for them and thank God for them and how they've been a blessing to you. Now, don't be that creepy person that stares at the same guy for five minutes. That's really awkward, or stare at the same woman. We don't want any creepers here at Wellspring. So just kind of just browse around. You don't have to be yeah, extremely awkward and stare at someone. We don't want to make people feel really uncomfortable, anything like that. Um, one of the songs uh, we're going to sing, it has the lyrics that says this. Here's my heart, Lord. I am found, I am yours, and I am loved, I'm made pure. And instead of just focusing on yourself when you sing those words, look around and think about your brothers and sisters here who have been found, loved, and made pure by the grace of Jesus Christ. And to help us practice thinking about others and looking around a little bit at the lives of our faith family here we're going to do something different I don't think we've ever done here at Wellspring. And this might make some of you feel a little awkward at first, but it's not going to last real long, so I'm not going to torture you too much. We're going to sing the most recorded song in history together, Amazing Grace. And we're going to sing it a cappella without any music, uh, just the traditional version. And what we're going to do is you're not going to close your eyes, like some of you might be in the habit of doing, but you're going to look at each other as you sing this song. And just so we have some type of um, order and we're not just running circles around looking at people, I'm going to kind of divide the church up in sections. So for the balcony, like you guys on the right, just face people on the left when we sing this. We're only singing three lines of it. And if there's a section that's really small, maybe move over there. You don't want 40 people staring at one person. That would be really awkward for that one person. So if one of these sections is really small, kind of divide it up a little bit. So we'll split this middle section up. You guys on the right will face these people and vice versa. We'll split this middle section up. You guys on the left, you guys will face these people and vice versa. So that's a little heavy. You might kind of even that out maybe. And then, and then you, this middle section here, you guys will face each other um, as we sing this song. Does that make sense? Everybody kind of know what we're doing? Might be a little awkward. It's not going to last too long. But when you're singing the words, Amazing Grace... How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I want you guys to look at your brothers and sisters in the eyes and think about how the grace of Christ has been poured out in their life. 
Think about how much God loves them and the miracles that God has worked in their life. This is just one simple way that we can speak to one another in song, as Paul told us to do in the book of Ephesians. So sing loud as we sing Amazing Grace. Don't be bashful. It's only three lines, and then we'll enter into our time of worship. So Nick is going to lead us now.